early in his life, this meant sending him to the best schools, advancing his career, and protecting him from a socially disadvantageous marriage. Later, she devoted herself to a different goal, drawing her son into the kingdom of God by whatever means necessary. Monica had much to worry about regarding her son's spiritual health. He stole pears from a neighbor's tree, delighting in the evil of the act. He pursued his lust heartily. He valued education over holiness. More than once, he ran off, largely to escape his mother's pious pressures. When Augustine would not listen to her, Monica could only pray and weep for her wayward son. In Confessions, Augustine recalled a mother who wept to God for me, shedding more tears for my spiritual death than other mothers shed for the bodily death of a son. After years of supplication, Monica's prayers were answered. Augustine embraced Christianity and came to appreciate fully his mother's spiritual labors on his behalf. She lived to see him become a priest and died in peace, having told him, there was one reason and one alone why I wish to remain a little longer in this life, and that was to see you a Christian before I died. God has granted my wish and more besides. Augustine became the premier theologian of his generation, influencing much of how we view the Bible even today. Anthusa lived in Antioch, the hub of Paul's missionary journeys from 347 to 407 A.D., and bore a son, John, just before her husband died. Though Antioch's population was roughly one-half Christian at this time, Anthusa feared society's corrupting influence on John, so she taught him what she knew of classics and Christian faith at home. After his character was formed, she sent him to be trained by an experienced orator, who honed John's innate gifts of communication. John became one of the early church's most renowned preachers. His contemporaries named him Chrysostom, or Golden Mouth. Katie Luther. Katie was the wife of the Protestant reformer Martin Luther, who lived from 1499 to 1552 A.D. and schooled a large and ever-changing group in her house. She bore six children, raised four orphans, and generally mothered the students Martin brought home from the university where he taught. Sometimes as many as 30 people crowded under her roof, seeking to learn all they could from both Martin and his formidable wife. Luther was only half-joking when he referred to her frequently as My Lord Katie. (laughs) 
Susanna Wesley, 1669 to 1742. Susanna was the mother of John and Charles Wesley and is sometimes called the mother of Methodism as well. She ran a tightly ordered household by necessity for her husband subsisted on a minister's salary and she bore 17 children, nine of whom died in infancy. On top of all her household duties, she conducted day school for her youngsters, instructing them in godliness alongside academics. Each child had chores to perform, scriptures to learn, and character issues to address. Each child also had a personal audience with mother every week for one-on-one attention and encouragement. It is not hard to see how the discipline integral to the Methodist system grew from John Wesley's childhood experiences, as Methodism emphasized small groups in which every member was accountable for Bible study, mutual correction, edification, and Christian service. Though Susanna lived only long enough to see John's earliest revival meetings, she would have been proud of the religious movement he founded following many of her principles. Even though most of you moms in here are probably not that well-known or in the history books or anything, you are no less appreciated and no less important. And we want to say Happy Mother's Day again and thank you uh, from the bottom of our hearts, especially us as guys. Um, Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you on this special day, Mother's Day. Uh, Lord, we're so thankful for our moms. They mean so much to us. Um, And, Lord, we just ask that... uh, you would bless them, especially on this day. Give them a great day as they just relax and, and just enjoy their families and friends. Father, thank you so much for the institution of motherhood, how you've set that up and, and how you've given us moms. Father, it's uh, so important and, and just a, a wonderful thing for us. Once again, we just want to thank you for all of them here, and we just pray that you would give them a great day. And, Lord, we just want to thank you now for them especially. It's just uh, Give us a great day as we worship you today, and we just want to thank you once again for our moms. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, let's stand and sing this morning to our great God, our Savior, Jesus, who saves us and makes us into the mom and dads and people that we are. Sing to him this morning. Well, good morning. Welcome to Grace. And uh, once again, happy Mother's Day. Go ahead and at this point, grab your Bibles, and uh, I'm going to get myself arranged here. And uh, turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy, is where we are going to be. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and chapter 3. Uh, There are Bibles in the pew backs in front of you if you don't have your own. And uh, our text should be up on the screen if you don't have access to either of those. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and 2 Timothy chapter 3. I've entitled this sermon for Mother's Day... A mother's might. A mother's might. Second Timothy chapter 1 and chapter 3. As you're turning there, let's pray one more time, and then we'll dive right in. Father, thank you for this day that we can celebrate the moms in our lives. Father, what a blessing that they are to us, how they provide, how they care, how they love, how they instruct, how they teach. And with every aspect of their life, they are examples to us. Father, thank you for that. Indeed, you are good, and you show us your goodness through our moms every day. Father, would you be with us? Uh, Be with the words that I say, that they would be your words and not mine, that they would be to the encouragement 
and challenge of moms and moms yet to be on this very special day. We ask it in the name of Jesus and all of God's people said, amen. Amen. There was once a notorious skeptic of the Christian faith, and his name was Robert Ingersoll. He was a political leader. He was a notorious lawyer. He was a religious skeptic. In fact, he was so much so that his nickname was the Great Agnostic. The Great Agnostic. And in his heyday, he would often visit colleges and universities to debate and to defunct Christians and Christianity. Well, the story goes that there were two college students who wanted to hear him when he came to their university. And so he came and they went. And as they were walking down the street after his lecture, one of them said to the other, well, I guess that he knocked out the props uh, from underneath Christianity, didn't he? Referring to the lecture from Ingersoll. And the other one responded by saying these words. He said, no, I don't think that he did. Ingersoll did not explain my mother's life. And until he can explain my mother's life, I will stand by my mother's God. You know, there's also a young man in the Bible whose name is Timothy. And he had a mom, according to Scripture, and her name was Eunice. And what we see in 2 Timothy is just a couple glimpses of the influence that she had on him. And she was very influential on him, just like this young man's mother in our story. The book of 2 Timothy is a a short little book. It's four chapters. We're going to take a look at chapter 1 and chapter 3, just parts of it. But as a whole, it's written by the Apostle Paul, and he writes to a young protege of his, somebody who has been with him on travels, somebody that he had mentored for quite some time, and his name was Timothy. Now, Paul writes from a Roman prison cell awaiting his imminent execution. We think that this is probably the last thing that he wrote before he was martyred for his faith. It's a very personal letter. And so Paul writes to to Timothy to admonish this young Christian and this young Christian leader to remain faithful to Christ and to remain faithful to his word. And tucked away in these words of encouragement are really two nuggets. Tucked away in this admonition from uh, Paul to Timothy are two nuggets of information that highlight for us Timothy's spiritual heritage. So we don't get much, but we get enough to learn something from. Specifically, the role of Timothy's mother on his life and on his faith. And so the first nugget of information is found in chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. And in that little section, we're going to see the might of a mother's example, the the strength of a mother's faithful example to her children, verses 1 through 7 in chapter 1. And and the second truth about Timothy and his mother is found in chapter 3. And in that little section, we're going to see the might of a mother's instruction. That is the power of a mother's ability to teach her children. So first of all, look with me in chapter 1. We're going to see the might of a mother's example. 2 Timothy 1, verses 1 through 7. There's a story that was told by Lauren Sani. He was the longtime president of a, of a parachurch ministry that you may or may not be familiar with. It's, it's called The Navigators. It's a, it's a very strong, non, a non-profit parachurch ministry. And he was the longtime president. Many, many years he served as the president of The Navigators. And he once wrote this about his mother. And I quote, My mother gave birth to me in a frontier house on the Midwestern prairie. 
Now, on the kitchen counter, she placed a list of the ingredients necessary for my formula. I guess that's before you bought it in the store, right? You had to make it up. And at the top of this list was prayer. At the top of the list was prayer. And that remained at the top of her list for me throughout her life, he writes. I have to thank her for firmly establishing my spiritual roots. As we turn to this little epistle of of 2 Timothy, we're going to find out from the outset in chapter 1 that it was Timothy's mother who also firmly established his spiritual roots. And the way that she did that was by an example of what Paul calls genuine faith. Genuine faith. It was her genuine faith in Christ lived out that firmly established this young man's spiritual roots who would then grow to become uh, Paul's protege and a great man for the kingdom. So let's read 2 Timothy 1, 1 through 1-7 together and, and see this together, starting in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, In Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-control. That is the reading of God's word. So from the outset of this little letter, we get a tidbit of the spiritual heritage of this young man named Timothy. Paul talks about what he calls the sincere faith of Timothy and how it was influenced on two ladies that came before him, right? First of all was his grandmother, Lois, and then second of all was his mother, whose name was Eunice. And it was a sincere faith that first lived in the grandmother, and then it was a sincere faith that lived in his mother. And Paul says, listen, I'm persuaded also that it abides in you, that your sincere faith has been influenced both by your mother and by your grandmother. So what does he mean by sincere faith? What kind of faith is he talking about? Well, this term, a a sincere faith, talks of a genuine faith. It literally means a faith that is without hypocrisy. It's a faith that is not two-faced. It's a faith that is real. It's genuine. She was no half-hearted Christian. She was no fake. She was no just come to church on Sunday morning and that's all I do. She was the real deal, right? She was a legitimate Christian. And anybody who knew her knew that she was real, that she had a real relationship with Jesus Christ through faith, that she had been born again and that she followed Christ with all of her heart. She had a sincere faith without hypocrisy. She was no half-hearted Christian. And apparently Paul was convinced that neither was Timothy. He was no half-hearted Christian. So what do we know about 
this woman? Well, the answer is that we don't know very much. We know that she herself was a Jew. We know that her husband was not, that her husband was a Gentile. In Acts chapter 16, we find out that his mom was a Jewish convert to Christianity, but that his father was not. So this was a spiritually mixed household that Timothy grew up in. Mom was a Christian. Dad was not a Christian. The text says that he was a Greek. But what we find out was that she had a powerful, sincere, unhypocritical faith so that as young Timothy grew up watching the faith of his mom, he came to believe that it was real. And he came to believe that the man that she followed, Jesus Christ, really was the Son of God. Because of her example, she lived it out and she passed along this faith, so to speak, to her son. One commentator says this, regardless of the fact that his father was not an unbeliever, quote, God used his godly grandmother and mother as links in the chain that led to Timothy's salvation. So that's what we see, first of all, is is the might of a mother's example. So the first thing I want you all to see, but particularly mothers, be encouraged. Your example is powerful. Your example is is extremely, utterly powerful. That's what we see from the life of Timothy's mother and him, is that her example, her genuine, unhypocritical faith was huge, had a huge influence on his life. Your example is powerful. So, moms, how you speak and treat your husband is powerful. Your tone of voice is powerful. The words that you choose to say to your kids, to your husband, is powerful. How you respond to your kids, both in grace and in repentance, is powerful. What you prioritize in your life is powerful. It's an example to your kids. How you react to hardships and trials when they come, it's powerful. The habits that they see you forming in your life, like prayer or scripture reading, regularly attending church and being involved in the life of the body, serving people inside and outside of the church. Your example is powerful. And so moms, be encouraged. Be encouraged. Your example really is significant. One thing that I see from this passage that I think can also be of help is the spiritual dynamic of Timothy's family. Not having a father or not having a Christian father is not the final word. It's not the final word that dooms our kids to unbelief or an anemic faith, right? Not having a dad or not having a dad that's a Christian, it's not the final word. God the Father can overcome an earthly father deficiency. And one of the ways, women, that he does it is through the genuine Faith lived out of moms, just like yourself. So be encouraged. Your example is powerful. So we see there in chapter 1, this little tidbit about Timothy's mom, right? We see the power of her example. That was one tool, so to speak, and her arsenal was her example, her genuine faith in Jesus Christ lived out on a daily basis. But it wasn't the only tool in her toolbox, okay? It wasn't the only weapon in her arsenal. She had another. And so if you have your Bible still open, turn with me to chapter 3. As we flip just maybe one page in your Bible to chapter 3, we see another tool. We see another means to an end. As we move into chapter 3, we see that Timothy's mother not only had a powerful example, 
Not only do we see the might of a mother's example, but we also see the might of a mother's instruction. The might of a mother's instruction. Not only did she live her faith out before her son, she taught it. Right? Not only did she live it with her, with her, word, with her actions, but she taught it with her words. So turn with me to chapter 3 of 2 Timothy. We're going to take a look at verses 14 through 17. The great preacher, Dr. G. Campbell Morgan. He was a great preacher of the 20th century. He was a British preacher, teacher, evangelist. He was a great Bible scholar. And he had four sons, all of whom were preachers. So just imagine living with that family, right? He was a preacher, and he had four sons that eventually turned out to be a preacher. And as the story goes, uh, one time they were all together Uh, The sons were older, and they were all in the pastoral ministry, and they had a a house guest for a special occasion. And the man came into the living room, and the whole family was there. And he wanted to uh, see what the younger son, the youngest son, whose name was Howard, was made of. He He wanted to test him a little bit, maybe put him on the spot. And so he asked them this question. He said, Howard, who is the greatest preacher in, in your family? Of course, he has the dad who's famous. He has himself who's a preacher and three older brothers who were also preachers. And so this question was posed to Howard, who is the greatest preacher in your family? And without hesitation, he glanced directly at his father, whom he had great admiration and respect for, and looking directly at his father straight in the eyes, without a moment's hesitation, he answered, Mom, Mom, Mom is the greatest preacher in our family. Here in chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, we're going to find out that Timothy's mother was also a pretty good preacher. She was a pretty good teacher because she had a great influence in instructing him. So when we get into chapter 3, there's a bit of a context. In chapter 3, what we find out is that Paul is talking to Timothy, and he's encouraging Timothy to stay faithful to the Bible to stay faithful to doctrine, to stay faithful to the words that were passed down from Jesus to the apostles, to him, in light of the imposters, the false teachers that watered down and twisted the Bible, he's encouraging Timothy in his pastoral ministry. Listen, stay faithful to the Bible. And he's going to give him, he's going to give him two reasons. And the two reasons he gives him are very interesting. First of all, it's found in verse 14. The first reason, he says, Timothy, be faithful, be faithful to, to the Bible, number one, Because you learned it from a reliable source. You learned the scripture from a reliable source. You learned it from your mom. So let's read in verse 14 together. Chapter 3, verse 14. Uh, Just to give some context, we'll start in 12. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted, while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse deceiving and being deceived. Here's verse 14. But as for you, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because, here's the first reason, why should he continue in the doctrine that he has learned? Why should he continue in the Bible? He's become convinced of it. Why should he continue in it? Number one, because you know those from whom you learned it. Number one, he says, you know whom you learned the Bible from. And very clearly, 
He's referring back to his grandmother and to his mother. The very passage we read in chapter 1. He says, listen, you need to be faithful to the word because your mom and your grandmother were the ones teaching it to you. So, so what do we see? We see the might of a mother's instruction, right? Not only did Timothy's mother live out her faith, but she taught it. She intentionally taught the scriptures to young Timothy. So Paul says, listen, you know who you learned it from. It was your mom, day after day, year after year, month after month, decade after decade, pouring her life into you and teaching you this word, right? She taught you this word, so remain faithful to it. You know whom you received it from. And then he gives a second reason. The second reason, he says, you should remain faithful to the Scripture is because the Scripture itself is a reliable source. Not only, did she, not only did he learn it from a reliable source, the Scripture itself, it's reliable. Notice what he says in verses 15 through 17. We'll, we'll skim through this pretty fast. Starting in verse 15. And how from infancy, notice that, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. How do you think he knew the Holy Scriptures from infancy? The mom, right? It was his mother. Continuing on. Which is able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. He says, listen, listen, your mom instructed you in the Scriptures, and the Holy Scriptures, when you learn it from infancy up, when you're steeped in the Word, it's able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. That is, when you read the Bible, it speaks of Jesus in the Old Testament, the one who was to come, in the New Testament, the one who has come and is coming again. If you read the Scripture, it will make your kids wise to place their faith in Jesus Christ so that they can be born again, right? And then he goes on to say, not only that, but it's a trustworthy word, right? It's God-breathed. It's from the very breath of God, and it's useful not only for bringing a person, a person to faith in Christ, but to train them, to instruct them, to change them to a faithful follower of Christ. And so he, he says, Listen, Timothy, remain faithful. You know that your mom taught you these scriptures, and it's a reliable source. So what's the, what's the point? The point I want to draw for us is this. Mothers, not only is your example powerful, but your instruction. Your instruction is powerful. Now, this is not to say that this is your job alone. In fact, scripture in at least a couple places, Colossians 3, Ephesians 6, actually puts the main responsibility of teaching the Bible to the kids on the dads. So, Father's Day is coming, right, in a few weeks. So, we'll, we'll go there. It's, it's the dad's primary responsibility, and yet, it's also yours as well. And you have such a powerful instrument when you teach your kids the words. No doubt that Eunice intentionally trained Timothy from an early age, the scripture says so, to know the Bible, to read the Bible, to love the scriptures, and to place his faith when it was time in Jesus. So, moms, the main application is simple. 
teach your kids the Bible. There are lots of ways to do that. If you have young kids, there are all sorts of good resources out there. There are all sorts of kids' Bibles, children's devotionals that you can read to them on a daily basis. That's wonderful. As your kids get older, you can get them age-appropriate Bibles. You can do Bible studies with them. You can do family devotionals at dinner time or in the evenings or in the mornings. You can encourage your kids in so many ways, but it's, it's your job. Parents, it's your job. Fathers, it's your job. And mothers, it's your job to help them. The might of a mother's instruction. It is so powerful. So in closing, we've seen a couple things today. We've seen a young man influenced greatly by his mom, right? We've seen that she had a powerful, genuine faith that he saw every day and that led him to faith in Christ. And it was powerful. We've seen that not only did she live out her faith, but she intentionally trained him in the Word so that when Christ came into his life, he would be prepared and equipped by that very same Word. We've seen the might of a mother's example. We've seen the might of a mother's instructions. Certainly, Timothy would agree with the assessment of that young college student that we began our service with, that nothing could explain his mother's life but the existence of God and the work of Christ. Moms, I want to leave you with this question. The real question is is this, could that be said of your life as well? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for this very special day and how you record throughout the pages of Scripture, through example and instruction, the life of godly women who are moms and how utterly significant, how you used and shaped Christian and world history through faithful moms that prayed, that lived out their faith according to grace, and that they instructed their kids in the Bible. Father, may you be with our mothers, whether they are at home with young kids or whether they're at home with kids that are grown and away. May you help them to see that their example is powerful, that their instruction is significant, and that you use godly moms for your glory and for the kingdom of Christ every day. May this church be filled with moms like that. In the name of Jesus, we ask it. And all of God's people said together, Amen. Uh, Just a few instructions before we leave. Uh, First of all, we'd like to invite all of you to our Mother's Day lunch, uh, Mother's Day diner. Uh, Hopefully it will be uh, tasty and good. Just a few instructions. Moms, when you get to your tables, what you'll find is that there are some cards there, some, just some little name tags. Write your name. We're going to do a drawing to give away some of the flowers that are out there. So make sure you do that. We'll go by and pick them up. Also, men, I want to challenge you. Now's the time. When we're done, go help. Okay, go help serve. Uh, if, if there's no room serving, stick around and help clean up. Let's make this a good Mother's Day. And I don't want to see any women in the kitchen. Got it? Okay, let's go. Thanks for being here. See you next week.